Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only Internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Today's topic is how your environment impacts your health. I'm so very excited about today's show because my special guest is John Mitchell. Let me tell you a little about him. John Mitchell is a certified physician assistant turned functional medicine health consultant who shows driven professionals how to get abundant and sustained energy, mental clarity, and resolve their chronic health issues. John, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You know, I think often in functional medicine, you know, of course, we're trying to get to the root cause and we're usually looking like inside the body. We're looking at hormones and we're looking at gut health and we're looking at inflammation and all this kind of stuff. And we forget about the external environment, you know, light and water and air and noise and how that impacts our health. So that's really why I have you on today to kind of help remind us about that part of our health. Yes, it's it's super important. And the the framework that I work people through, I, I've and I've learned through the years through working with some amazing mentors, is that you need to work through a certain order of operations in order to get consistent clinical outcomes. And and like you said, gut health is supremely important. You know, we want to make sure that hormones are in balance, that we're detoxifying well. But certain things that you work on upstream have effects on things downstream. So when we talk about environment, things like your air, water, light, sound, EMF, and food, those things are all going to influence a lot of the different functions within your body on a very basic level. So that's the place that I like to start. That's my key number one is working on your environment, and then we start moving on to those other things like the gut. Um, And a lot of times once you correct a lot of those things, everything else downstream kind of works itself out. So that's why it's super important, yes, to, to kind of start there. And like you said, most people tend to gloss over these things, but they can they can be the reason why you're sick in the first place. So you want to make sure that you're addressing them. So as we start into this conversation, is there one area that you typically like get the most bang for your buck or that people have the most questions about? Like, where should we start our conversation today? That's a good question. So it depends on the person. Everybody's a little bit different in what is is um, affecting them most and what they need to work on. The You've already touched on electromagnetic fields with someone else, so we can hold off on that, though I do think that's an important topic. Um, but I do think uh, one thing that I like to work on is, is light especially. I mean, all the others, air, water, uh, sound, also important. But I think given our technology-driven life now, Light is something that we don't think about, but that impacts our health in a very significant way. So if we just think about what our life is like today, we're constantly being bathed in artificial light. 
And it's not normal. It's just common. We haven't been exposed to this type of light forever. It's only been within the past hundred years or, or so. And it does have biological effects that we just don't realize. So at nighttime, if you're being exposed to blue light, which is like a certain spectrum of light, and that comes off of our cell phones, our laptops, our, our TVs, even our LED lights, they all produce this blue light. That blue light is stimulatory. It suppresses melatonin, which it helps us get to sleep and helps set our circadian rhythm. Um, and so that can affect our sleep. But melatonin is also really important uh, as an anabolic hormone. So it actually helps us heal throughout the nighttime. Um, and it's also a very powerful antioxidant. People have, or research has shown that melatonin can help prevent a lot of different cancers. It, it's important for your mitochondrial health, the powerhouses of the cell. So all these things are super important. And if we're just sitting our, uh, you know, looking at our cell phone at night um, on social media or watching the news on TV, it is going to affect our sleep and then it's going to affect a lot of other systems in our body. So that's one thing that I like to have my clients think about. What is your exposure to at light, especially at nighttime? Um, and let's mitigate that exposure. Let's put on some glasses that block that blue light exposure. Let's change out the light bulbs that you're using to things that have a more wide spectrum. Because the goal is to really be, you want to follow the sun essentially. Like the sun, um, as a, opposite of what most people believe, the sun is extremely helpful. We do want to get out in the sun. You just don't want to burn. That's the big thing. But the sun is going to help set our circadian rhythm, our daily rhythm throughout the day. Our hormones are tied to that. Um, and it's supremely important for so many different functions. So uh, aside from avoiding the blue light at nighttime during the day, first thing when you wake up, get outside in the sun. Show as much skin as possible. Um, and then throughout the day, you want to get some sun. We know the benefits of the, getting sun exposure and vitamin D, but there is just more to it than that. And we're learning more and more every day. So light is, is one of those things that I think we really need to think about more. And even if you live in a cold climate, like just standing in front of a window and getting sunlight through the window, that is helpful. It's so important, and um, it's tough. It's tough in the winter, especially if you're up in Canada, um, because, again, you're not going to get the UVB light typically in the wintertime that will help with the vitamin D production. So you have to have other ways of working with that. But even just, like you said, getting outside or just staring at the sun is going to help entrain that circadian rhythm, which is really going to be helpful for a lot of different ways. Even one, one thing um, neurotransmitter-wise, serotonin. Serotonin is converted via UVA light, so light from the sun. So it actually is going to make us happier when we get out in the sun. So that makes me think about during the winter time. Oftentimes, uh, many people start getting the winter blues or seasonal affective disorder, and that's part of how uh, the UV rays help with that serotonin production. Yes, absolutely. It's a it's it's quite an interesting process, but it's it's super important. It's something we just don't think about because we wake up it's in the dark, we go to work, we're in a box that's artificially lit. We come home in a box that's artificially lit, and we just don't think about like I didn't even see the sun today. I know it's so crazy, but that's how it is in Canada during the winter. <laughs> it's really difficult. Yep. And then you have a a day of sunshine. Mind you, it's bitter cold. But you finally have sunshine, no clouds in the sky, beautiful day, except it's bitter cold. And that change, it makes such a difference in your energy. It's so it's so funny. I think I think almost everyone realizes it. That's why I like light so much to talk about because I think on a basic level people get it. Like we know that when we go to things like the beach in the sun, like, oh, this feels really good. I'm relaxed, I'm calm. You know, when when it's you know you're coming out of winter time and you start seeing the sun, you're like, wow, 
I'm actually in a better mood and I and I'm waking up and I feel energized. So I think intuitively we do get it when we think about it. So can you talk a little bit about light boxes? Because I know for us here in Canada during the winter, it is very difficult to get sunshine. So can you talk about the use of light boxes like at your on your desk or on your table or Yes, so they they can be very useful, especially people dealing with depression, seasonal affective disorder. Um, again, it's going to have certain wavelengths in there, and that's going to be more in the blue light spectrum. So that's one thing that's important for us to understand is that there's no wa- wavelength of light that's bad per se. It just depends on how much you're getting and the full spectrum of light. So light boxes can be very useful for that type of thing. And there are all different types of therapeutic lights you can be using. There, there I'll have my clients use like a UVB light set up in the winter to help produce vitamin D as opposed to taking a, a supplement. You can use infrared light, which is on the red end of the spectrum, and that can help uh, with improving your energy levels via your mitochondria. So we can actually use different lights therapeutically depending on what we're looking for, which is a really beautiful thing. And then as you were saying, in the evening, we want to actually block the blue light. And you were mentioning glasses. So are you talking about like my dad used to wear blue blockers? Are you talking about something like that? Yeah, yeah, blue light blocking glasses. So there's a bunch of different brands out there, Um, you know, whether it's the blue blocks, whether it's RA optics, there's there's a bunch um, but yeah, you want to make sure that you get one that does block out all of that blue and even the green light from the spectrum. And it's going to change the way that obviously you see things. Everything's going to look red and orange, but it's going to help you get to sleep. You're going to find yourself winding down much easier. Um, and you're just going to notice that you'll sleep better because of it. So as I explain this to patients, I, I have them kind of think about blue light. I think about the color blue and a bright blue sky means that the sun is out. So blue light is like the sun is out, it's going to energize you. And then the red-orange tones that we want to get in the evening, that's like the sun is going down. Yes. And it's helping to calm down your body, kind of getting ready for sleep. Yes, and, and you know, like you said, you'll, you'll see this in our environment. So that's the cue is that the sun is, is a great guide at nighttime. When, when the sun's going down, it's going to be much higher in those red, infrared tones and that's what you want to emphasize at nighttime. So how many hours before bed do you have patients avoid the blue light? Usually it's about two to three hours for sure. You definitely want to give it a, a few hours because it can take that long for your body to kind of calibrate to that. Um, and that's usually what we see just in population studies with, with light and sleep is that usually when the sun goes down, people tend to go to sleep about two to three hours later because sleep is also triggered by a drop in temperature, not even just light. So that's another kind of tip for helping improve sleep is to drop the temperature in your home a little bit as you're getting ready for bed, because that will kind of signal your body that you're ready for sleep. And then there are uh, background, there are programs that you can put on your your phone, your tablet, your computer, etc. to change the background light. Can you talk about those kind of things? Yes, you can you can do that on your Android, your Apple phone. On, on, it's like a nighttime uh, button that you press on your laptops. You can put on like a an application called Flux um, on on both Mac and PCs. So I like those apps, but again, I just think we tend to forget about the other types of light that we're getting. So it's not just your your laptop and your cell phone, but again, just the lights you're using throughout the night 
in your house. Like most people are using LEDs that have very big spikes in the blue spectrum. So either you're changing them out with halogen lights, but even then they're going to have some blue spectrum. So I think just using the glasses makes the most sense because it's very easy to do and you can still kind of go about your evening without worrying too much about it. So that's always my thing with clients is I want to try and make things as easy as possible for them to do healthy habits. That makes sense. And then for people that want to know more about light therapy, because you were saying earlier about infrared light or the blue spectrum of light, like if they want to know more about those things, is there a resource that you can recommend? There's a few books. Um, some of them are old school. Like there's a researcher, Jonathan Ott, who has a few books on, on light therapeutics. So that would be someone I would check out. Um, but you can, I mean, you could probably easily find this now. The infrared light uh, field is actually really taking off right now. And I think there's a lot of just resources online. So that's, that's what I would look for. Okay, so now that we've covered light, why don't we go t- and talk about um, water next? Yes. I don't know about yes. you, but this isn't, <laughs> I get a lot of questions about this. Hey, Dr. Gary, should I use a reverse osmosis? Do I need a filter on my shower head? What do I do? What about the minerals? Yes, it's, a, it's quite a topic. So I, um, again, it's all about trying to find what's the biggest bang for your buck. So the reason why I focus on all these different environmental factors, the air, the water, the light, is because these are things that we do day in and day out. We, on average, should be drinking around about three liters of water a day. So that's a good bit of water. And the question is, what is in your water? What's the type of water? Are there contaminants? What are the mineral content of it? Um, is it structured water? That's a whole nother topic. Um, But I think in general, people don't realize that there's a lot of contaminants in their water. And we trust our municipalities kind of blanketly without actually testing. So when I actually test the water supply of my clients, that tells a whole different picture as to what's going on. So I'll I'll give you an example. I had a client in the past who was a type 2 diabetic, and he did not want to go on metformin or insulin or any of the other drugs that his doctors were pushing him for. And they just kept saying, it's a genetic thing. You know, this is kind of how you are. He was eating a clean paleo diet. Well, we'll put those in quotes. I don't like to say clean or healthy because I think those are kind of just like generic terms. that don't really mean much, but he's eating a paleo type diet. He was exercising an hour a day and he just couldn't understand why his blood sugars were still spiking in the morning, going above 200 when they should be around, you know, 70, 80. And when we started looking at his home environment, his air and water supply were, were really toxic. Like we actually drew some, some labs and looked at the environmental toxins in his blood. And he had things like perchlorate, HEMA, MTBE. And it was because these were coming in through the air and the water where he was living. So, and those things were damaging his pancreas. The pancreas produces insulin, which helps regulate your blood sugar. That's why he was diabetic, not because it ran in his genes, not because he wasn't eating well, but it was because of these environmental exposures. So this is the important thing to understand is that just because you don't notice something in your environment doesn't mean that it's not breaking you down. And just because you think your government is regulating those things, they aren't usually doing a very good job. And you can even test for this yourself. You can go on the environmental working group. They have like a clean water database and you can type in your your uh, zip code and look at this, at least in the U.S. I'm not sure about Canada, but that's very useful. 
Um, if we're talking about filtering water, I do like reverse osmosis, but I think it's important that you have a remineralizer because reverse osmosis will take up all the minerals as well. And we need minerals uh, to, main, to maintain our body and our, and our health. So I think it's very important to get a remineralizer. Um, and if we're talking about contaminants, same thing, like RO just seems to do the best job. Um, and then I also do like a shower filter. Those are probably the two ones that are the most important to me is drinking water and shower because shower water is going to get hot. It will be aerosolized and you will breathe in, um, anything that's in the water and it will also be absorbed into your skin. So things that are volatile, like chlorine and fluoride, those things will get aerosolized and you will inhale them. And then those can have biological effects if you're continually exposed to them over time. Okay. So when it comes to a shower filter, um, can like I just go over to Home Depot and get something off the shelf or not? Those are tough. Those are tough. <laughs> brand brand wise, I just tend to go with Aquasana. I, I tend to like their their brand with their filters. Um, so yeah, you just want to be careful. And I think especially with water filters, because you will see things like Brita filters and people think that's enough. And in reality, when you test how well they filter, they just don't do very much. Um, so it is worth investing in, in a high quality water filter to make sure that it is filtering all the contaminants that are in there. And that's why I do like like a reverse osmosis with a remineralizer. Okay. And then uh, my spider senses are tingling here. I think our listeners are curious to know, how do you test water? And, and yes. what, what test did you do on that patient that found those toxins? So, well, we had a few different things. I tend to, at this point, I don't even tend to test because once I just say get the filter, it's actually cheaper to just get a filter than to test. But if you do want to test, you can go to the National Testing Laboratories, or I think right now their website's watercheck.com, and they have panels where you can send in your water, um, and they will test it for you and show you all the contaminants that could possibly be in your water. And that's very sobering to see what's actually in there that you're not aware of, and that's not being reported by your, your municipalities. Um, so that's the kind of testing that that I would look for if if you wanted to do that. But a lot of times, I just find if you get a high qual- high quality enough filter, that tends to take care of it, anyways. And I'm kind of in the same um, line of thinking as you are as far as testing is concerned. I just think, well, you're a human being on the planet Earth. You do have toxins in your body. We're gonna we're gonna do a test. It will come back abnormal for sure. Yes. Yes. And that's, so, and that was the thing with even like the, we talked about what did we do with the, the client of mine. So we did also do a blood test that looked at environmental toxins. Um, that was through, um, greater great plains lab. So, and that, that was a, just a general panel, but that's the thing with, cause I come from a conventional medicine background. I was taught on the, the medical model mm-hmm. and they, they don't recognize these things. Like it's, it's glossed over in school. And again, like, like the story with my client, it was pretty much, Oh, your blood sugars are high. You it's genetic and you're diabetic. And that's just the way it's going to be. And you need to go on medication. And what I want people to understand is that there is always a reason why you are developing some symptoms that are that are put in the name of a disease state. So medicine calls, I like to call it the, the name it, blame it, tame it game. So medicine likes to put a name to your symptoms in the form of a diagnosis. They blame it for how you feel and then they want to tame it with some sort of medication or surgery. But 
what, what we're interested in, you and I and, and a lot of people in the functional medicine field, is to get to the root of it and say, what are all the things that can be contributing to your disease state? And let's just address those. And then a lot of times we get resolution of disease on the down end. So that's the key is it's just elucidating those issues. And, and this is a great example of going, well, it wasn't just diet. It wasn't just exercise, but it was your environmental exposure that was really driving this disease process. And that's what we need to focus on. Yeah, it's not always easy to figure out. And I know, and I can speak only for myself, that the patients that typically come to see me are very complex. They've already seen like an arm's length of doctors, their family doctor, multiple specialists, multiple naturopaths, and they're just like, they're not getting better. They're not getting answers. And and that complex cases are complex. They're hard to figure out. But that we also have that underlying thought process of there is a reason we just have to figure it out yes and you and people need to understand that you are a unique individual you are a category of one you have unique genetics and upbringing lifestyle environment that all shapes how you are feeling so any cookie cutter protocol is typically not going to get the results especially for a complex case like you need you need someone who's going to quantify what's going on within your body like you said with you know certain labs that will look at the gut that will look at your nutrient levels so that we can start being more targeted about our approach and then again just systematically looking through your lifestyle your your environment and the other things that can be affecting your health and then start to start to address those things holistically as opposed to just going like well yep you're low in this so we're just going to give you a supplement and we're not going to look into why Okay, so the next area that I want to talk about is air quality. And yes. um, there's some really scary stuff out there about nanoparticles and pollution leading to things like Alzheimer's. I remember Dr. Bredesen talking about inhalation Alzheimer's from just the pollution that we breathe in. Yes. Ah, oh, scary stuff. Okay. <laughs> Can you talk about air quality? Sure, sure. So this is another one where, and, and what, what you're talking about, or it sounds like a lot, what a lot of people think of when they talk about air quality is they think about outdoor air. They think about um, emissions from our cars, from industrial plants. That's that's kind of what we're thinking about. And those things are out there. They There's no question that is affecting um, how we are living. If you think about it, we, we breathe, like I think it's 20,000 times or more Uh, a day. So that's fairly important. So if we're continually breathing in less than optimal air, that is going to build up over time. It's going to bioaccumulate within the body. And it also requires energetic currency for your body to detoxify. So that requires minerals, enzymes, um, energy that, that we could be using towards other things. So it can lead to a subtle breakdown in systems over time. But and like you said, certain toxins can can be more harmful than others and lead to things like you said, like Alzheimer's, and some other issues. So I think it's really important that we that we talk about air quality. And the other important thing is to realize that your indoor air can be just as toxic, if not worse. And I think this is where people don't don't realize this that um, you're in a confined environment, typically in our homes, that aren't getting a lot of a lot of circulation. So if you're using cleaning chemicals, if you have uh, furniture that has flame retardants on them, if you are, you know, there are certain paints that you use that are putting out VOCs. Like all these things are off-gassing into your environment and you are breathing in on a daily basis. Same thing with your mattress. Mattresses can be doused in, in a lot of flame retardants and other chemicals. And you sleep, you know, most people are going to be sleeping for eight hours or more in their mattress. So that's that's a lot of exposure. So what you want to do again is is 
you can quantify. There are certain devices you can use, but again, I just like to go with high quality air filter, a high quality HEPA filter that will um, really make sure that your house is clean. We we work on changing out all the different things that can be um, decreasing your air quality. So making sure that we have like green options as far as like cleaners that you're not used there, that your furniture doesn't have flame retardants on them, that we're using safer paints for the house, things like that. And that's really going to be a big thing because most people spend most of their days indoors. Most of them spend them in their houses. So that's what you want to focus on the things that you can control. So start at your home. Yeah. And when, as you say that, I think at a bare minimum to make sure that your bedroom is a safe environment because as you said eight hours that ends up being a third of your life in your bedroom yes yes it's huge and so that's that's often the first place we'll look we'll go all right what's going on with your air quality in there do you have any electronics in your room there's you know the, the bedroom is a huge place that we tend to have to do a lot of work so if we talk about filters are there specific things that we need to look for or are there companies that you recommend yeah, so there's this is it, the this is the thing when we talk about um, devices and things with all different whether it's air or water. Um, there are so many companies with great marketing, but it's really hard for people to to know what they're looking for. So I definitely at the bare minimum you want to go with a high quality HEPA filter. Um, brand wise, I usually give my clients two options. Um, I like the Air Doctor; it tends to be a very good one. But the the best one that I like is called EnviroCleanse. Um, I just find for a few different things uh, as far as like the filtering capabilities, but also it's quiet, which is important. It doesn't produce any light, which is important. Like certain ones are have, have like a, even the air doctor has some blue light that it produces. It can be a little bit louder and those things can affect sleep. So I look at things not even just from the filtration perspective, but the other things that can be affecting your biology as well. That's true. You know, we, t- we tend to forget about the noise that they can make. Yes, yes. And I like my bedrooms to be quiet as much as possible. So it's important that if we are using something that it's quiet. And then I just tend to tell people to run it prior to bed, but not necessarily while you're sleeping. So it's not affecting your sleep. And then can you speak about a work environment? So here in Ottawa, we're in the capital. A lot of people work for the government. um, And they're in these old, old buildings. Yes. And they they're like, everybody around them is sick. And they're like, they tell me stories about, oh, they've checked the air quality, Dr. Carey, and it's, you know, quote, normal. But <laughs> I know it's not because mean? everybody around me is like always sick. So, you know, people that are, so so you were saying like, we try and control what we control. So is there anything like in that kind of situation that people can do? It's tough. Yep, that's an extremely tough situation. Old homes are sick homes. Old buildings are sick buildings. And that's why, I, again, I don't trust um, municipalities because when they say they've done testing, oftentimes it's like the bare minimum things. They're looking for like a few contaminants maybe. Um, but when you actually get something that's better quality, that's when you start to realize, oh, these are, you know, there's some significant issues here. Um, I feel, if you, it seems like almost every day I'm hearing about some building that has asbestos still in it. So, if you're in that type of environment and you can't get out of it, that would be the first thing is, you know, try and get out if you can. Um, you can certainly bring your own filters in there. Um, there's no reason why not. You can also just try to bring in some air filtering plants like an aloe or peace lily, things that will help purify the air. I think that's at least an easy option that w- that can help a little bit. Um, but it's a tough it's a tough one because 
Yeah, they're typically, I find that most companies aren't going to spend the money that they should to ensure that it's a safe working environment. And then we just have a few minutes left, but let's talk about noise pollution. Because it seems like that's only getting worse. Yes, especially if you live in a city, um, that can be a big issue. And but you really don't even have to be in a city. Just even being by a highway, if you bring a certain meter that will listen to a decibel meter that will listen to the loudness of sound, um, you'll just see that you're being exposed to a lot of sound, a lot more so than than you think. And this is even recognized by the World Health Organization. This is not something that's just in the functional medicine realm. That certain decibels over a certain point will increase your risk for certain things. It's going to disrupt sleep. It can increase your risk for heart disease. Um, it can increase your anxiety. So it is important that we are we are cognizant of the sound that we're being exposed to. And even if we don't recognize it on like a conscious level, our body is picking it up. Those waves are being registered on the body and it does have physiological effects. So what I like people to work on is to just be a little bit more cognizant of it if you are in a loud environment and then get time throughout the day where you can go somewhere quiet, whether it's a walk in the park, whether it's a quiet room that you can listen to some sort of calming music. If you want to listen to things like binaural beats, which are certain frequencies that can help entrain your brain into a certain pattern so that it can relax you, um, those things are very useful. But you just want to make sure that you're throughout your day that you're getting some time, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour where it's like nice and quiet and you can just kind of relax. And the most important time, like we said, is bedtime. You want your bedroom to be as quiet as possible. Um, So that's where you want to focus your efforts if you can. There's so much more that I know that we could be talking about, but we're so limited in time. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to share in these last couple minutes? Oh, I did have something. Oh, so we were talking about the breathing. The other thing that I like people to think about is there's there's other types of there's types of breathing. So you want to make sure that when you breathe, like throughout the day, um, it shouldn't be mouth breathing. Typically, you want to be nose breathing, and um, you want to make sure that it's nice and calm. So I find that a lot of people, especially who have trouble sleeping, who have sleep apnea, they tend to be mouth breathers. So that's something that a little tip to look for is do you wake up in the morning and your mouth is dry? Do you find that you're snoring a lot? A lot of times it's because you're mouth breathing. And if you start working on that, um, you can actually improve your, your oxygenation. You can improve your sleep quality just by working on how you're breathing. Good point. Okay. And how can our listeners find out more about you? Sure. They can uh, go to my website. It's johnmitchellpa.com. That's John without an H. And then on social media, I think it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, same thing, John Mitchell PA. John, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview. Thank you. This was a, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with John Mitchell. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.